think we always probably question death when it comes, especially when it's unexpected. And God knew knew the plan for our lives from beginning to end. I, I knew you when you were in the womb. I knew you before you were even in existence. And there was something about that that can bring me to tears. Mm-hmm. And it can also bring me to uh, moments of clarity and acceptance. The way it came about was it was my cousin who was hosting it, okay? So she come, she literally comes up to me at the memorial and says, hey, I'm doing this thing in a couple of weeks. But it was like, well, why not? You know, um, what what else am I going to do? It was biblically based. She was running it. It, it, has, it runs out of churches only, grief share. I went ahead and went to that. And because it was somebody I knew, too, that made a difference. You know, that, that's always helpful when it's not all strangers. But um, but right away, it was, it was just this great ease of um, the people and getting to know each other. And I felt a constant urgency. It's like God was still going, pushing this. Okay, come on, let's go. Wow. You know, it's like he just kept pushing a little bit more, and I just couldn't get it out of my head. So that's when I brought it um, to um, the church's attention, and um, yeah, we just ran with it then. And Saturday, November the 5th, from 10 until noon, we'll be hosting another Surviving the Holidays, which we did last year. And, um, you know, as everyone knows, those milestones can be really tricky. So just that um, that opportunity to talk about, you know, what's it going to look like? What's it going to look like to sit down at the Thanksgiving table and there's a seat missing or there's an empty seat? Uh, what's it going to look like at Christmas time when uh, the family's all getting together and it's clear somebody's missing? So we're hoping to, um, to make this available, you know, as long as necessary for people um, to come and find some healing and find some some folks to share share their grief with and, and talk it through. It's really neat to hear the way you guys are saying yes when God prompts you to do something. And if you want to be part of Grief Share, that's happening this Saturday. You can find all the information online on mylcc.info. You'll also notice today we have our baptism tanks, whichever way they are. We love celebrating baptisms, and we have two baptisms right at the end of service today, and we are so excited to celebrate with these two individuals. And then next Sunday, probably one of our other favorite things for Sunday lunch, because we're getting into fall, we're going to have chili. And uh, our staff have a few thoughts on chili, which we're gonna share throughout the week, but uh, we are looking for people to help bring toppings and some sides, and you can find that information also on mylcc.info. But for now, we're gonna transition into the teaching, and I think Dan is coming up, or is up. And thanks, Dan, for sharing the word with us this morning. All right, good morning. My wife has the best chili, by the way. She's got the, the greatest of all the chilies. Uh, we're glad you're here this morning. <clears throat> I'm going to pray as we start. I'm Dan, the lead pastor here, and we're going to pray and just ask God to, um, to open up the word to us today. So God, would you grow us today in your wisdom? Would you help us to understand wisdom better? And would you, would you be working by your spirit today to apply this to our lives as we go in? and out of our very busy lives. 
We pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay. If you're someone who likes to work on projects or assemble things, you know that there are two ways to go about doing it, right? One, you can be lame and read the instructions. Two, you can choose to kind of create your own adventure, right, and follow your gut and see what comes of it. When I first started working on cars, I was replacing brakes, and I finished the job only to later discover that I forgot to put these bad boys on, okay? These are brake pad retaining clips or spring clips, right? And I came across them, and I said, oh, these look interesting. I wonder if they are important. I wonder if I need to go back in and actually do more work. Of course, I wasn't aware that not using them could mean that the brake pad could move around. It could affect the contact with the road or could, could lead to an accident. Yeah, but have the instructions really said that? Does it really matter if I put them on or not? So there's a couple ways we can approach like putting things together. Um, one path will get the job done, but it requires surrendering to the manual Focusing, following through the other is less certain, but you get to be the boss, right? And you might even have some parts left over at the end. Everybody done that? Like, done thing and have parts left over at the end? Well, in the end, because of the possibility of death, I chose to put the clips back on. Today, we're going to pick up Proverbs 3. We're in Proverbs 3 with this question. Am I on the right path? Am I on the right path? Is the path that I'm currently on working? Is my path in line with the designer, with his instructions, with his manual? Or is it the result of my choosing? How do I know? And if my path appears to be working, why am I feeling such a lack of peace in this area or that area? Is, is my plan working? We're in Proverbs, and let me do a quick recap of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs was written mainly by Solomon, the king of Israel, um, Israel being the nation that God chose to make a covenant with. Proverbs is known as wisdom literature. It's got its own construction. It's got its own style. And essentially, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, a proverb is a brief statement of a commonly known truth. And there are a lot of Proverbs. We also learned that Proverbs is not a guaranteed promise. Just because there's a proverb, that does not mean it's necessarily always going to come true. And the last two weeks, Tom used this effective picture to describe God's wisdom. He used this picture of a river. When we're in the river of God's wisdom, we, we often experience the benefits that are listed in the book of Proverbs, many of them. Um, for instance, today we're going to see that uh, living in God's wisdom can extend our days, extend our life. Now, this is, is a common truth, but it's not a guarantee. There are obstacles in the river. You may hit your head, and that may be the end. But these Proverbs are, in general, truths. They're not every time truths. So let's go a little bit deeper into Proverbs 3 today. And as we begin... As we begin to journey into Proverbs 3, we're going to see two paths emerge, okay? So here we go, Proverbs 3. It, it, it starts out, my son. And this is, we talked about this last week, Solomon uh, could have been writing to his sons, but this was commonly used. It's a method, it's a technique 
to, to pass on instruction as, as a parent would to, to a son or, or a teacher to a student. So my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your, your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It'll be healing. It'll be healing to your flesh and a refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Do you see, as we're reading this, there's a back and forth that goes on here, right? There are specific commands that are given that are gateways to living in this river of God's wisdom. And each of these commands produces a benefit, right? A benefit comes out of it. These are common benefits. They're not guaranteed, but they're benefits to living in the river of God's wisdom, to following these commands. So we see here, uh, remember teaching. Keep his commands with your heart. It'll extend your life. Hold fast to love and faithless. Bind them around your neck. In other words, wear it as a necklace. You see it all the time. It'll bring favor and good success with God and man. Trust God with your heart. Heart, trust him in all your ways. He'll make your, your path straight. Fear the Lord. Abandon evil. It'll bring healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones. And then honor God with the first and best of what comes in, and you'll have plenty and more. Those are some pretty amazing benefits when you look back and read them. And you may be thinking, I want those. And this is probably the error that we, we do as human beings, right? We see the benefits and we're like, we want those. How do I get to them? Do I have to go the command way? Do I have to go the command? How do I get to the benefits? So we look for, for shortcuts. But that's, that's not how God's wisdom works. We don't just pursue the benefits. We don't just pursue the commands for the sake of the benefits the benefits are not the motivator. Why? Because, first of all, they're not guaranteed. I mean, look at verse 9 and 10. No matter what anyone will tell you, and it's misused a lot, following God and honoring him with the first and best of what comes in does not guarantee that you'll have plenty and more here. Plenty and more is not the driver for us. It's not a transaction, though some use it that way. Give, and you'll get some sort of return. If you go back to the verse, there is, a, there is a mindset that comes with honoring God. When we honor him, we either honor him or in the case of looking for the benefits, we use him. So there's a motivation behind honoring and behind living out all of these commands. The motivation comes from a place and it comes from our hearts. It's there in verse 1, it's there in verse 3, in verse 5, and throughout Proverbs. We're to pursue wisdom from our hearts, from a place of, of, of desiring God's wisdom, not the benefits. The benefits come out of our desire, our heart's desire to pursue. 
It's what Jesus talks about in, in Matthew 6 when he says, listen, do this. Seek God's kingdom first. Seek his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. That was in the context of talking about material things, about, you know, uh, the, Jesus was addressing when we, when we hoard, when we store up treasures in heaven. He was addressing worry about material things. Will we have enough? Seek God first and his kingdom. All these things will be given to you. In the context of that discussion, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus was trying to direct, direct the people and direct us towards the motivation, the heart motivation to seek God first with our hearts. That's why he said you can't serve God and money. You'll either love one or hate the other or vice versa. It's our hearts. It's our hearts that he wants. And yet, it is a common truth that when we honor God with our hearts, with the first and best of what comes in, we'll have plenty and more. That's a common truth. The heart comes up in verse 3 and 4, too. Look at this. Now, I'll ask you as you read this, okay, is it a common truth that those who are marked by love and faithfulness, they love God, they love others, that's, that's what they do, that's what comes out of them. Is it true that they find success with God and man? Yes, it's commonly true. Think about the person you know who just lives that way. They, they exude that love and faithfulness. They're loyal versus someone who you don't know if they're going to be loyal. It's favorable, right? And, and the writer urges us to bind, to tie love and faithfulness around our neck, to take it with us so we can see it all the time. It's continually in our view. Write it on our hearts. But you being a lover of God and a loyal person does not guarantee this benefit. It's not a guarantee that people will like you. In fact, Jesus said when he was here, people will hate you on account of me. So although there are, although there are caveats and, and other examples that are given, it's still a common truth that has impact. Love and faithfulness make a difference. Now, verse 5 and 6 is the anchor of this passage. I learned this when I was a kid. My dad had these scripture memory verses, and we, we learned these, and it stuck with me. So let's say it together. Ready? Here we go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Okay. That is a great verse. It's one you should memorize. But let's talk about it. Let's unpack it a little bit. What are some key parts of this verse? What are some key words, some key phrases? One, it starts off trust. What does it mean to trust? Trust, to trust is to put yourself completely, entirely at the mercy of someone else. In this case, the Lord. To trust him entirely. Now, trust is, an, is, a, is, a, um, is a choosing, but it's also actively backing up that choice with evidence, right? I, uh, let's see, it was last year I repaired my guitar, all right, my acoustic guitar. It had a plastic housing on it that was cracked. And for years, I, I, it wasn't fixed. I was looking to get it fixed, but the company had stopped making the part. And so I'm looking around for it, looking around for it. Can't, every year I'd check in. I got online last year and, and saw a community. This has happened to others who have my model of guitar. 
And they're like, how do we fix this? Okay, somebody had uploaded a 3D printer file of the part. All right? So I, what I did, I do, I, just, I hit download. I downloaded it. I sent it off to a company. Okay? Didn't know, but I trusted that it was what it said it was, and I backed up that trust by what? I put money on the table. And I was like, okay, the money's gone. I'm, I'm going to trust. And it came back perfect fit. Perfect fit. You got to love technology, right, sometimes? A 3D printer part. Mwah. Trust. To trust is, to, is to, to choose to trust, but it's also to move in the Lord, to make action, to back it up. And it's a present reality we should always be asking ourselves. It's not did I trust. It's am I trusting? Am I trusting? as I approach things in my life, whether it be my day or other things. Got to keep moving. Leaning. Let's look at that phrase, leaning, in that verse. Leaning is a similar, conveys a similar posture. It's, it's described here, it's putting your entire weight on this. In this case, your own understanding. Let's talk about the heart. We brought it up earlier. God desires that we move, that we trust from a heart that wants to do that, that desires that. In all your ways, acknowledge him. All right, that word acknowledge can mean different things to different people, right? If we go into a room and there's people, we can see someone across the room and say, hey, we acknowledge them, right? Or we can go up and have actually fellowship with them and walk with them through a conversation or whatever, right? That's what this means here. It's fellowship. It's, it's in all your ways, fellowship with him through that thing. And he will make straight, it says, your paths. Does this mean your path is easy? This mean, does this mean you will have no obstacles at all in your path? It does not. The, those who trust the Lord, those who trust the Lord, what was once an unclear path, which what was once crooked and we couldn't see around the bend, he makes clear. He brings clarity. He straightens it. He points the way. He illuminates the path. It's not that your path will be easy. It's that you begin to see the path. It's commonly true in the river that those who trust God with their heart in all they do and walk through it with him, fellowship with him, do not look to themselves or their own assessment, will see a path illuminated. This, this chapter represents two ways of living, two paths. I'll call one the God-directed path, I'll call the other the self-directed path. The God-directed path is one of active trust. It's consistent trust in God that comes out of our hearts. We choose it, and then we act upon it, doing what he says, and the benefits come. They're commonly true. Now, the self-directed path, or as it's called in verse 5, leaning on your own understanding, or in verse 7, let's look at it here. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now, the self-directed path is also one of trust, but we're trusting in our own assessment, our own ability. It's a belief that you can circumvent wisdom, God's wisdom, you can circumvent it and do your own thing. Now, a couple of things we learned, even from these verses, about the self-directed life. One, 
you leave the self-directed life by, by how? Fearing the Lord. It's, it's, it's not a cowering fear. It's a reverent fear. Your ways are not my ways, God. You are higher. You are above. You are sovereign. You know what's best. That's fearing the Lord. That's the foundation of wisdom. Second, the self-directed path, it carries, we see it here, it carries a significant burden, a significant weight, because leaving it brings this, this healing, this refreshment that comes. And third, the self-directed path has embraced evil in some form. Some form of compromise has happened. How does that happen? Why does it happen? It's because we, we as human beings, are fallen. Our ability to see the right path, let alone take the path, is corrupted. It just is. That's why we read in Proverbs 14, 12, and this, is, this verse is repeated word for word in Proverbs 16, 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. There's a way that seems right to you, to me, to us, but its end is the way to death. We carry a curse. Sin leads to death. What's the big deal about leaving off the brake clips? What's the worst that could happen? You don't have to look far, do you? Think about it. In our world, you don't have to look far to see this principle right here played out in day-to-day life, right? Because think about it, about every man-made institution, enterprise, endeavor, whatever it is, what eventually happens is what? Decay and death. It's a recurring story. Power corrupted. Money corrupts. The self becomes the motivator. It's more important than other things. So, so Proverbs 14, 12 here, it's true on, on a soul level, on an eternal level, right, that, that without Christ, right, without Christ is death. Romans 6 tells us the wages, the price we pay for sin is death, but the gift of God is life, eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Proverbs 14, 12 is true on a soul, eternal level for us individually. But it's also true in day-to-day life and the choice to be wise in our own eyes. Hear me, in everything we do, everything we do, from the way we spend our day to the decisions we make to the, to the way we steward resources to the way we parent to our marriages to relationship to conflict, every, all of that, there's a way that seems right to us, but its end is the way to death. Two paths and everything. Two paths. We're a culture that loves to, to give advice, don't we? To share our opinion on things, um, to self-improve. Dr. Phil, judge, I don't even know who the judges are. It was Judy at one time, right? There's all kinds of them now. Love to give our advice, self-help, self-empowerment, self-actualization. Guess what? It's all corrupted. It's all tainted. 
Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, that was at that time, but it applies today, let, a, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Two paths. Two paths. It's happened to me enough time through the years that I'll, I'll get together with um, an individual, so maybe it's a couple, and they've hit a roadblock in their life. And we, we, we sit together, we pray, um, we look at what God's word says, and it's kind of like, here's, here's what the word says. Here's the path. And then later on, Follow, to follow up to find out, how did that go? How did that go? Well, actually, we, we decided to try this instead. We decided to try a different path. And it's like, okay, but know this. There's a way that seems right to us, but its end is the way to death. And that's for me, too. I'll tell you, throughout my life, the older I get, I see this principle play out. In my life, every time I leave and, and seek my own stuff, it may, it may appear right for a while. It may actually go right for a while. But in the end, it's not the way to life. So we got to be really careful what we, what we take in. Because God wants us to explore. He wants us to discover this world, to cultivate it, even to subdue it. It's the world he made for us. And we take in things in this world. We take in schools of thought, disciplines, and they can all be informed by God's spirit and his word, but they can't be in contradiction to what his word says. So in our groups, we have small groups of families around here. We, we, have, to, we have to realize that it's really important how we respond to situations in each other's lives because we can address what we're facing with, hey, what's, what's God say? What's what's How's he directing us? What's his wisdom in this? Or we can answer with, well, I think, I think you ought to do this. Or, you know, I went through that, and you should really try this. It's wisdom that appears to be right, right? And we sound, can sound very good saying it at times, but in the end, one leads to life. The other leads to other places. That's why we're called as brothers and sisters to exhort. Let's encourage each other in truth. We're called to admonish. That is correct. Teach. Hold each other accountable in truth. It's that important. We do it with love. But truth is so important. We need to know what God says in his manual, in his word. We need to learn how to trust. That was Paul's end goal. He struggled, as he says in 29 there. He struggled with all his energy to do this, to proclaim Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's you and me, those of us who know Christ. In Christ, we are to be moving in truth towards maturity. And his wisdom is so crucial. Now, what happens if we're not? What happens if we're not? 
Let's keep moving in Proverbs 3. It says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Man, this is tender. This is, this is our God. This is, his discipline is there for a reason. He absolutely loves us. And as a loving father, those of us who are parents know this, as, as loving parents, we want, we discipline them towards the right path, right? Don't hate God for intervening when you're off course. Um, learn to appreciate the things he brings in your life to, to keep you on course. He delights in you. He's shaping you. He wants, ultimately, your heart to trust him. Okay, there's a lot left in chapter 3, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go pretty quick through this just to highlight some things, all right? Because the rest of chapter 3 really shows these two paths laid out. So the next section in 13 through 26, we see these things about wisdom and, and kind of the God-directed life, right? We learn about wisdom that it's, it's more precious than jewels, that, that nothing we desire can compare with wisdom. And that wisdom ways are, are the ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. There's peace again. She is a tree of life, life for your soul. You won't be afraid in the river of God's wisdom, your sleep will be sweet. For the Lord, the Lord will be your confidence in the river. That's life in the river. That's life in the God-directed path. And that's presented in contrast to the end of chapter 3, which kind of gives warnings to not live that self-directed life. Look at verse 27. Don't withhold good from those to whom it's due when it's in your power to do it. Don't say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you. This is in the context of owing your neighbor a debt, of paying it back. Don't withhold it. Pay it back, right? Now, the self-directed path would say, ah, I'll decide when I want to do that. Or mm, they did this to me. I'll take my time giving it back. Or if I can keep it longer, I might get more out of it. That may appear to get you somewhere, but it's a path. It's your own path, right? Let's look at another one. Verse 29, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. How would we get to that place of, of this, right? Of evil against an innocent person. The self-directed life, it, it's a series of spirals. It's a series of spirals. This week, I encourage you, read through chapter 3. Read through all of it. This entire chapter, it, it really tells God's story. It, it reflects his story. It was especially the story that begins in Genesis. A man and a woman, Adam and Eve, created by God in his image, presented with, with a, a God-directed path, right, with benefits, a beautiful garden, a purpose, mission, fellowship with God, the ability to eat from all the trees but one. Then another path comes, presented by the serpent, right? You can eat from that one tree. What's his, what's his, how's he trying to get him to do it? Oh, it'll give you knowledge. It'll make you wise. 
We read in Genesis 3, 6 that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, we know what happened. She ate it. He ate it. They were, they were coaxed into the self-directed life, thinking that their, their own decisions, right, would bring life. And it cost them everything. But God, God in his mercy had a plan, a Messiah, a Savior, Jesus, the one who perfectly lived. He did. He perfectly lived the God-directed life. He lived in the river of God's wisdom in all ways. He, his days reflected it. He served. He did God's will. He had deep fellowship with God throughout his days. He loved God. He left the crowds to be with the Father. He walked in the Spirit. He loved the Father. He loved the Spirit. Trust inhabited his decisions. The, the choice to trust, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then he backed it up, right? He lived the will, the journey that God had for him, the Father. He trusted all all the way, all the way to the cross, and yet he died. Think about it. In this case, the God-directed path led him to the cross and to death, but not for long because life always comes from the God-directed path, always, and Jesus came to life. And today, because of that, because of his death, his resurrection, those of us who have trusted in his death his resurrection, are forgiven because the perfect one died for the imperfect. That's us. And so we all have a choice whether to trust in what Christ did on the cross or not. I hope, I hope you will know and come to trust in him if, you're, if you haven't. But make no mistake about it, what happened in that garden still plays out today the temptation to leave God's path and, and become wise in our own eyes is always there. It's always there, the temptation. Every time we say, I'll, I got this, I'll set the path. So what path? What's the path for you? What's the path that you choose with your day? Is it God-directed? Is it self-directed? What's the path that you choose with your resources, with the decisions that are in front of you that come your way. What is it? Think about it. How about in your day? Okay, let's talk about time for a little bit. And go with me here. I'm going to do an exercise. We have 168 hours in a week, all right, 24 times 7. And those of you who are math geniuses, just correct me afterwards and tell me. I, I triple-checked my math. It doesn't, doesn't mean anything. 168 hours in a week, all right? What is God, the God-directed path? God says what? Take a day and rest, right? That leaves us with 144 hours. If we choose to trust God, take him at his word, and enact that, right? 144 hours left for six days. All right. We, we're part of our, our job, according to the creator, is to work right? So 
we, let's say eight hours a day, whether you're at home with kids, whether you're working at a company, whatever it is, it's all work. Okay, eight, eight days, eight hours a day. I'll, I'll make it nine for commute. Some of you are like, yeah, I wish it was an hour commute. Okay? And let, instead of five days a week, let's do six days a week because there's a lot of stuff at home, right, that we've got to take care of too. All right, 54 hours, nine times six, okay? That leaves us with 90 hours for six days. Oh, but we got to sleep, right? Ugh. Eight hours a night, six days a week. Eight hours, come on. All right, so what does that leave us with? 42 hours left in our week. What does God want us to do with 42 hours in our week, right? What are some of the things he tells us to do? He tells us mainly two things, right? Love, love God. Love others, right? To make it very general. And part of the commands he gives is to love him, to fellowship with him. If we're married, we have a, 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 the opportunity to lay down our lives for our spouse, right? How about our kids, right? We're given specific ways to instruct our kids. Let's talk about how about the, we're building a body here. We're loving others in this body. We're building, um, building his kingdom on this earth, people who outside of this body who don't know him, all right? Now, this is where it gets tricky because I'm going to throw some numbers in here, okay? And these are, not to be, these are not to be looked at as, oh, Dan says we need to spend this, this, this. All of us have to wrestle with where we're directing our time, okay? So I'm just going to, for the sake of time, I'm going to throw in your week six hours for each of these things, okay? I'm spending time with God, and we can't look at this as compartmentalized, like, oh, I'm just going to spend an hour here, because we know this weaves in throughout our work and throughout everything, right? But go with me here, okay? Six hours. I'm going to spend time investing in my spouse, maybe in the morning, and maybe when we get home, whatever it is. Um, going to love my kids, my family. Um, six hours a week, I'm going to be here with the body on Sundays. I'm going to be in, in small group, and I'm going to invest in something that's kingdom building in my neighborhood with my neighbors or outside. You can, there's a lot you can go with that, okay? We take those hours out. We have 18 hours left, okay? I want to say it again. This is imperfect, so don't follow the focus on the hours, and don't assume your life fits perfectly into all this, all right? But I put this here to ask us, do we have a rule of life for how we approach the time and the day that God has given us? Right? We budget for money, a lot of us. We put money here, money here, money here. Do we budget our time? Because if Proverbs 14, 12 is correct, if we've been doing things our own way, there's a natural spiral that happens, right? Natural spiral. So do we have a rule of life? Because Jesus, Jesus did, right? And we have an enemy who is constantly saying, has God really said that loving him and spending time with him is important. Has he really said that, that we need to be here together? Has he really said that, that I need to spend time with my kids and invest in them? Has he really said that? The enemy speaks all the time into those things. And for, for me, at least, the self-directed path starts with just a small compromise. Like, oh, I'm going to go outside the river because I just feel like it's going to be more efficient it's going to be more meaningful. It's going to be desirable in some way. 
42 hours, all right? Now, I want to talk about something, too, that Tom talked about last week, all right? 42 hours. And uh, this is some, some statistics from Nielsen. This is from quarter three of 2020, but this continues, okay? This is the average time spent per adult, 18 and over, per day, right? Uh, quarter three, 2020, 10 hours, okay? 10 hours of being connected to media a day. And that's a list below, like live TV, game consoles, time-shifted TV, radio, internet, all that stuff. This was in, in, 20, um, in 2020. It's gone up and down. It's been as much as 13. I've seen right around 10, a little below 10, but we'll say for the sake 10, okay? If, if we're living according to the world, right, that means of our 42 hours, that is 60 hours. And um, I bring this up for, because this is a question here. Why do we lack peace? Why do our, our bones feel worn? Why is our heart hard? Why are our relationships struggling? Could it be that our very day is set up for us to fail? And not only that, what we take in from these 10 hours much of it is going to present another way, and the way is this. Has God really said, has God really said that's the way it goes? And when we keep adding things to our lives, we put this pressure on the God-directed path, and the pressure can lead us to circumvent the river of God's wisdom. And Solomon, if we read what he wrote in in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he talks about this. The more stuff you add, the more things you, you have, the more, more you have to take care of, and the more time it takes from what matters. This, too, is meaningless. So we've got to come back. Because of Proverbs 14, 12, we've got to come back and do a continual purging and asking some hard questions about our life. Okay, that's about our life. Let's talk about our decisions real quick. I'm just going to address a couple of things here. Um, let's talk about just addressing parents today, and I'm one of them, right? God tells us in his word in Deuteronomy, um, love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these commands that I give you today are to be on your heart, so parents' hearts first. The commands are supposed to be on our hearts to love God. And then we impress them on our children. We talk about them when we sit at home, when we walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, right? That's the God-directed path of, of parenting, part of it. Now, the self-directed life, and I think this is a seductive message today in our society, is often, hey, I want them to have a lot of enriching experiences and the best opportunities that will give them every advantage and set them up for the best possible future, right? That sounds good. It sounds really good. But is it the goal of the God-directed path? How about parenting our, for those of you who've, who've got kids that are married, right? Ephesians tells us uh, in Ephesians 5, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So how do we parent that? parent married kids. 
The God-directed life says, all right, I see God's word. I'm going to help them become one. I'm going to step back. I'm going to step back. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to help their oneness as a couple. I'm not going to get in the way, right? But then there's the enemy. <laughs> has God really said that? Because the self-directed path, let's admit it, as parents, we want them for ourselves. We want them to choose us, to choose our family and all the Christmas and Thanksgivings and all that kind of stuff, right? We want to know that we're the priority, and sometimes we even step in the way because of that. I could keep going. There's conflict with other followers of Jesus. When there's conflict, the Bible says, listen, be kind to one another, forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Bear with one another, Colossians 13. Forgive as God has forgiven you. Ah, has God really said that? Because my situation's different. Has God really said that? So it's good for us to step back and say, what are we facing in the week ahead? What, what are the decisions before us? What, clearly, what does God say? What is the self-directed path? Because the question is, are we trusting? So I want to call the band up, and as I do, I just want to conclude with a couple things. One, wisdom. We built on it each week. Wisdom is acknowledging and actively living in God's supremacy. Actively living in God's supremacy. And here's what we bring to the God-directed path. Loving trust. Loving trust. Bold obedience to his wisdom. Daily deference. We're deferring to him. It's another way of saying, follow me. Take up my cross. Deny yourself. That's what he's called us to. That's what he's asked us to do. He died for that. And here's what I hope, honestly. Here's what I hope you get out of all this today because it can be easy, it can be daunting to look at our lives and say, oh my gosh, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to think about. And it's really busy. And I, you may feel stuck. Uh, like, how do I get out of this life that I'm in because this is connecting with me today and, and that's... You know, God is the last thing on my mind. He's the last thing on my radar. You can take steps to that. But what I want you to see, more than anything, is that God is so good. His river, his, his wisdom living in it, there is so much goodness and life, and he wants that for us to live in, under him and in him and through him. I hope you see the life for your soul that, this, that living in his ways and his wisdom brings, and I hope you know how much he did for you, because the reality is that no matter how hard we try, we're fallen. We need the Savior. We need Christ. That's why he had to die for us, because we fall short again and again because of sin, but he has forgiven us, and the invitation is always there every time to come back to the river, and seniors, I just want to tell you, if you're a senior watching at home or in the room, you're gonna, your eyes are going to be open pretty soon when, when you leave your parents' house. Maybe you've already seen it, that this Proverbs 14, 12 is just going to be apparently clear to you that you're going to see up close the choices that others make around you and even your own choices and where they go. And I hope that you remember today and see that God has a different plan for you and there is peace and life 
for your soul in Christ in the river. So let's encourage, let's exhort, let's admonish one another towards his ways, towards his path. Let's pray. God, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the wonderful thing you've done for us and the death of your son, his resurrection. Thank you for your tender heart that always is moving us towards your path, that's calling out constantly, that's showing us even as we go throughout our day where life is and where death is. We need you, God. We live in a world that is, is dying and decaying by the minute. And we know that life is found in you, God. Teach us, help us to encourage one another what it means to, to live in this world, but not of this world, to live in your wisdom in it. We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you guys stand? Let's sing together in light of everything that God has done, everything that he's doing in this place right now. I see his body breaking. I see his fingers bleed. I see the darkness tremble In the darkest hours, there on Calvary, he was sweetly broken.